Well, we have here in our gospel the um, the text that's traditionally been used to distinguish uh, the religious vocation from the lay vocation, and we have what are called the uh, the evangelical councils versus the commandments. So these are kind of two different things. Commandments, everybody's got to obey the commandments. Okay, they're not they're not optional. All right. Uh, the councils, though, are are optional actually. And so Jesus counsels you to sell what you have, give to the poor, follow him in perfect chastity, poverty, obedience, so forth and so on. So counsel is, this is, this is really kind of like the, the, it's a more efficient means to Christian perfection than if you, if you were not to do that. Okay. So that's one of the aspects of religious life. And we see that here. Um, and this is all very relevant to the to the memorial that we celebrate today. This is Saint uh, Bernard of Clairvaux, who was um, a Cistercian uh, monk, and he's from the 1100s, I believe. He uh, was an amazingly prolific writer, and also um, kind of he lived for a monk. He was incredibly active in the broader society of Europe, uh, re- remarkably active. I think he founded something like 60. 60-something monasteries, you know, to, to do that. That's a lot of work. I mean, that's really amazing. And then that was just the beginning of it. He was very, very involved with uh, politics and with the politics of the Second Crusade, in fact. And so he had a huge amounts of dealings with kings and princes and nobles. And he was a very busy man. Uh, and I don't know how, how much, how old he lived, but I would imagine he probably lived a long life, and that's how one of the reasons why, you know, he got so much stuff done. But he was, you know, all about the evangelical councils and the religious life, and, and he preached it and was very successful in spreading the, the Cistercian monastic way of life. Um, the other thing that he promoted, and I find this very interesting, uh, in connection with the Second Crusade, is he promoted the Knights Templar, okay, which of course, you know, with our, with our Dan Brown, you know, movies and whatnot are, are becoming a topic nowadays, you know, or have become a topic in the past 15 years. And there's a lot of nonsense out there about the Crusades and about the Templars. I think you can legitimately critique the European Crusades on a number of fronts. Okay, so there's no doubt about that. Um, but if you're going to do it, you really got to know what you're talking about because there's a lot of history there. It's very, very complex. Uh, the relations between Europe and the Middle East and the Christian civilization, the Muslim civilization, there really is a lot there. Um, and so you just can't take the Crusades and kind of hold them up as this, you know, uniformly wicked endeavor of imperialist Europeans. I mean, there is a, really a lot to it. And uh, there was a lot of um, aspects of the Crusaders that I regard, I would think, if my, in my opinion, are very noble and very, very uh, self-sacrificing. You know, you took these guys who had huge dynasties uh, that went back generation upon generation upon generation um, the noblemen, they had huge amounts of wealth, huge amounts of property. I mean, that's how Europe was basically run at that time, was through the different, the nobility, the noble class. And it was based on property and it was based on uh, loyalty that serfdoms and, 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 you know, feasts and chieftains would swear their loyalty to an upper, you know, and it's kind of like a pyramid system. And in any event, these guys, they 
took all of their property oftentimes and just liquidated it. And they left Europe and they went to the Middle East, sometimes for their whole life or 15 years or something like that, and lived in nasty, nasty, bitter conditions. And they did it all because they believed that this cause was was just and it was God's will. In particular, the, the Knights Templar were really amazing because they were an order of warriors, but they were also religious at the same time. So they took the traditional three vows of chastity, chastity poverty, and obedience. So they had a religious superior, and uh, there were kind of two classes. There were like brothers of the Knights Templar who didn't fight because they didn't have that kind of talent, you know. But so, the, but they took the three vows. And then there was kind of like a second class, and these guys took all three vows, so they were like monks. But on top of that, they were warriors, and they and they usually came from the noble class, and they trained, uh, and they were you know physically fit, and they could they could fight, and they were very very um, they were really uh, fearsome kind of force, and they really they held certain pockets of the Holy Land for you know a number of generations. Eventually, unfortunately, their downfall was the Europeans themselves, their own Christians. A lot of the kings conspired against them because they wanted their money. All right, they they amassed as a religious order. They amassed a large amount of wealth. Again, when you're in a religious order, you as an individual, you don't own any property, but the order itself can. And the Knights Templar were exceptionally wealthy because they had to build fortresses and all of this kind of stuff, and had weapons and horses and and transport money from Europe to the Middle East and whatnot. It's a very fascinating religious order, and these men were incredibly sacrificial, uh, incredibly brave, incredibly giving of themselves for what they believed was a, was a just and holy cause. And so Bernard actually kind of uh, helped them get off the grounds and um, kind of put out some advertisement for them, wrote treatises about how this was a good endeavor, so forth and so on. But speaking about the religious life, note, though, this is, I think, deeper for everybody, whether you're lay or religious, there's a certain value that's going on here that Jesus is emphasizing and that you can see in the various religious orders, including St. Bernard and the Cistercians and even the Knights Templar, and that is the virtue of detachment. Okay. Now, detachment, um, if you don't have it, you what you, what ex, you experience psychologically a, a great sadness and a sorrow when you're when you think about giving up certain things that you are actually attached to. Okay, so we see that with a young man. I think that's that's something that really sticks out is that Jesus, you know, called him to a higher calling, and he and he re, he didn't cooperate with that calling. He refused, and as a result, he was very sorrowful. He walked away because he had many possessions wasn't the having of possessions themselves, it was that he was attached to them. Okay, So detachment is not a negative value. It's not saying that material things and created goods are bad. But what it is saying is it's taking account of the fact that because we're fallen and because of our fallen nature, we have a tendency to attach ourselves to created goods uh, in such a way that they actually become a hindrance to our ascending to God. Okay, so like in a in a perfect world without any sin, all created goods would be stepping stones to the supreme good, which is God. There would be no competition between created goods and God. Created goods would be like a doorway that just 
we would be able to appreciate them, apprehend them, and use them in a perfectly balanced and healthy manner, and we'd just go, we'd fly right up to God, you know, our heart, our mind. So there wouldn't be any conflict between created goods and our relationship with God. But we don't live in a, in a non-fallen world. We live in a fallen world, and we have inherited a fallen human nature from our ancestors. So consequently, we have a tendency to latch ourselves onto created goods like in an idolatrous fashion and actually cling to them such that we actually are impeded from ascending up to God. So the virtue of detachment is the virtue that kind of loosens the grip on these created goods and allows us, it heals that wound of greediness, so to speak, and allows us to continue that, that upward journey to um, God who is the supreme good and the, and the true good from which every created thing derives its goodness. Um, so the, the reality of it is that religious life is very, very helpful because you actually have to detach yourself from house, from property, from family, from all of those kinds of things. you actually got to do it. And you might think that you're detached from material goods, but actually do it. And you find out, oh, no, this is really hard. I'm really sad. <laughs> I'm very disappointed that I have to give up this stuff. Um, but the spirit of detachment uh, is what everybody is called to have, whether you're a layperson or religious. It's just that it, the religious really kind of takes that spirit and makes sure he or she has it because they actually physically detach themselves from those created goods. But we're all called to have that spirit of detachment so that created goods are, are not the end-all and the be-all for us, but that God uh, is truly our end-all and be-all. But we can kind of practice a little bit. You know, we can, um, and this is what Lent and this is what penance, one of the benefits of Lent and penance and Advent is, is we we actually detach ourselves from whatever it might be. We give up food, maybe we give up a little sleep, maybe we give up some kind of a, a hobby that we really enjoy. Um, you know, maybe we give up, uh, you know, it's possible spouses might give up intercourse for, you know, two weeks or three weeks or a period of time. And uh, you do that, and you kind of find where your heart really is. You're like, wow, I was way more attached to that created good than I thought I was. you know. And you might experience a little bit of what this rich young ruler experiences, that, that kind of sadness. But in the midst of embracing that sadness and that cross, there's a healing of grace that takes place, and God starts to build within us the spirit of detachment. So that then when we, re- we return to the good things that we gave up, we can use them in a more balanced fashion and actually use them as stepping stones to uh, upwards towards God. So, my brothers and sisters, I think this is one of the many things we can learn from our gospel today. And uh, we pray to St. Uh, Bernard of Clairvaux uh, that uh, God would grant us that spirit of detachment.